The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. All right, once again, I want to welcome you to Temple Bible Church. Is anybody excited to be here today? All right, yeah, that's what I like to hear. You're way better than the first hour, I need to tell you that. A lot more excited. I guess half of them are asleep, I don't know, but... Man, keep that excitement up. We're here to talk about Jesus today, and we're talking about his word and the things he needs to teach us. So let's get into it. We are uh, in a series called Stories of Jesus on the Parables, just grabbing a few different parables along the way. And we're looking at Luke chapter 12 today, a parable entitled The Rich Fool. I know you're like, oh, well, I just got excited, and now I got to hear about how I'm a fool. But, uh, Hopefully you'll be excited about what God will teach you. So there's a question maybe you can answer rhetorically. I have to explain that to the junior high kids, what rhetorical questions mean, because they just want to answer out loud. Uh, In case you didn't know, it's just internal. How many of you would say you're rich? Uh, My son, my youngest son, we've worked with him on different words over the years that he needs to pronounce correctly, and he still says, wrench. He's like, I'm going to be a famous YouTuber, game designer. I'm going to be wrench, daddy. I'm like, you go ahead and be wrench. Go ahead, man. How many of you would say you're rich? Now, some of you are like, well, I'm not rich like this person I know. But what you need to understand is like uh, Stephen Chung used to remind us, he used to be a pastor here. Now he's a pastor in New York City. He used to remind us all that we're all rich. The fact that you live here where you do, you're rich, period. Some have more than others, but we are all rich. And so it's important for us as we come to this parable not to think of someone else. Because there's always someone who has more. But for you that are rich, me, I'm rich, and I need to hear it for me as a rich person. So don't listen to this for someone else, although that is tempting. So in order to get into the rich fool, we have to, in this case, see there's a catalyst for this story. Not all parables had a catalyst, a person that would come up and talk to Jesus, but this one does in Luke chapter 12, uh, verse 13 to 15. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So here it seems like a random dude in the crowd, of course, God's providence had that guy come up, but it seems like a random guy come up to Jesus and said, hey, my brother's not giving me part of the inheritance. Now, back then, if you you study that culture, you understand that the oldest brother, uh, even the story of the prodigal God, or famously called the prodigal son, but mis- misnamed. But uh, the prodigal God's story helps us see that uh, there's a common occurrence where the oldest brother would get two-thirds of the inheritance. And those of us who are younger brothers, sorry, man, I, I see you down there. Younger brother, just like me, we don't get much. And this is probably what was happening in the story, the brother had uh, maybe a little bit given to him, but this, there must have been a situation where it was like, hey, I want more, and a common problem even today, family fighting over money. And I love how Jesus answered this, but before we get to that, there's one uh, statement that uh, one of our pastors in our staff meetings said that uh, was really important. 
that it's a problem we all have is that we go to Jesus to fix problems instead of coming to him in repentance. So this man is just coming to Jesus to solve an issue instead of recognizing his need first. And oftentimes we do that. We're just like, Jesus, fix this, fix that. You handle this for me, whatever it is, my difficulty I'm having. And then maybe later down the road we might think about repentance. We might not at all. But in order to come to Jesus, we have to have a humility. And obviously he wasn't displaying any humility here. And if I could have the freedom to paraphrase Jesus if it was today, I love how he answers the guy. Like, man, he's like, like, dude, chill out here. I mean, like, I'm not that guy. I'm not the guy to solve your problems here, or arbitrator, or deal with your possessions, a judge over you. But since you brought it up, let me tell you some things, right? I love how Jesus transitions this from a one-on-one to, now let me tell all of you what I, I think about this issue. And he gives two warnings. Watch out. This is an exclamation, take care or watch out, because greed comes at you in all kinds of ways. This warning is found throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. We got Romans, 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, 2 Peter, all kind of Scripture, all about watching out. Actually, Jesus talked about more money more than he talked about anything in Scripture, actually. And so there's a danger to greed, and he says, watch out, meaning keep a constant vigilance in your life because greed will come and bite you out of nowhere. And so he's saying you got to watch out, and the second warning is true, meaningful life is not defined by possessions. True, meaningful life is not defined by possessions. Now, I don't know if any of you are out there are documentary watchers, but I'm not like into like really uh, detailed ones. I'm just a sucker for like sports documentaries. I only have so much time on my hands, so the sports documentaries get me. And so lately there's been a few that have come out, and one in particular was just an hour long, and it chronicled uh, the short career of a man named Johnny Manziel, A&M quarterback. And unfortunately, it's a sad story. Now, uh, it's kind of a, a good story in a way that he is finding help now and, and, and getting somewhat better, but he really hasn't found Jesus yet. We can pray for him that he does. But he makes this statement, and my wife and I were watching this together, and I was actually preparing this talk, and I just told her that day, hey, this is what I'm talking about, and then we watched this thing that night. And toward the end, he says a quote, and she just elbowed me and is like, hey, that needs to go in here. And here's his quote. It's an age-old quote, but he says, when I got everything I wanted, I think it was the most empty I ever felt inside. Heard that one before, right? Somehow we don't get it, though. And here it is. When I got everything I wanted, I think it was the most empty I felt inside ever. And so Jesus says these warnings, and then he assumes that you're still not going to get it, right? He's like, well, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story. Maybe this will help you. And so then he moves into the rich fool parable in verse 16. 
And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So we have the blessing, first of all, in verse 16. We see that he was blessed. It's very important for us to understand in this story that wealth is not the issue. It's how he looked at wealth was the issue. There was something that was inside of him that showed what his heart really believed, and it was his attitude in obtaining wealth. See verse 16, he talks about good soil. And two weeks ago, I was up here talking about good soil and how that seed gets on good soil and it it grows in an abundant way and reaches out to others. And here's some good soil here. But here's a negative thing that happened with the good soil as opposed to two weeks ago. Verse 17, if you just took verse 17, you would actually see, well, this guy just came from nothing and was blessed with an abundance. So it's kind of cool that God blessed him. But we don't stop at 17. We see 18, he already had a bunch of barns. They're just not big enough. He already was blessed. He was just blessed even more. And here we have the challenge of the response to the blessing. Here's where it gets tricky. Verse 18 and 19 is where he talks about his response. And it was a crucial moment of decision-making. And so it is for you as well, a decision-making moment where you're blessed maybe with a raise or you're, you're blessed with something extra and that you didn't expect or just blessed in general with a good job that you make money and you're at a decision-making moment. What do I do with it? And here he is, a blessed man, waiting and deciding here. It's important to note his self-focus. Look how many times he uses the word I or my. Verse 17, I, 18, and he said, I will do this. I will tear my barns down. I will store. I will say to my soul. It's this self-focus. And oftentimes when it comes to greed, that's what happens, right? We get self-focused and we're concerned about all the expenses we have or the trouble we've had or pay this off, pay that off, and we really don't have any mind toward others or mind toward being generous or mind to giving back to God all the things he's blessed us with. Instead, it's just taking care of business. And this is that man, and he goes beyond just taking care of business. I'll tear it down and build bigger ones. And I thought about this, can we relate? And again, in our staff meeting, someone brought up this idea. It's like, yeah, we can relate. We can relate very well. And you know how? Storage units. Anybody see those on their drive on the way here? There's plenty of them. I actually looked it up. I Googled it. There are over 25 million individual storage units in the U.S. alone. That is one storage unit for every 14 Americans. Not adults. Americans, the U.S. is home to 90% of worldwide self-storage inventory. If we can't relate to this story, nobody can. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not bashing you if you have a storage unit. Tim said he hates people with storage units. That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) 
Sometimes you're given things and you have to put them somewhere for a time. Sometimes you're moving and you need to, you know, that's true. But let's, let's be real right now. 90%? Really? <laughs> we really need that many storage units? It ties very well. Just like this man, we are, blessed, we are blessed people with an abundance of stuff. Just like this man, we have a crucial decision-making moment or moments in our lives. So it's, an, it's, 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 it's a challenge for us to think about. Verse 19 reveals his end goal, though. Maybe your end goal in life. What's the end goal? For him, it was enjoyment, comfort, and relaxation. You're like, what's wrong with that? <laughs> I love to hang out. I love to enjoy time with family and friends. There's nothing wrong with that, but that was his sole goal. See, his response to this excess was like putting a big blinking neon arrow right to his heart to see how he really thought about things. And actually a very common parable or or, or proverb, a cultural proverb probably came out of this story, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you'll die. This attitude is timeless. One thing about his attitude as well, it showed no eternal thought whatsoever. His thoughts were temporary. His thoughts were immediate. How can I be happy now? And then in the immediate future, not toward eternity. So some of you may be thinking right now, is like, is that attitude wrong? (laughs) Should I cancel the vacation? Not buy that new house? Not get that new car? Should I just cancel it all? And that's not exactly what we're saying today. It's really about your heart. So I could say, maybe you should. If your heart is self-focused, if you're consumed by greed, maybe you do need to assess your decisions. So have you made an idol out of possessions? Maybe a nicer car, bigger house, fatter bank account, monumental 401k, hoping that crypto bounces back better than it was before, right? Have you made an idol of things? Ask yourself something like this, what is driving me to make more money and get new things? We discussed this at length a month ago on a treasures sermon from Matthew 6. It says, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And it's interesting, it also appears in verse 34 at the end of this passage. Same exact thing, same moment. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So it's not just about money. This actually was a harvest, right? It was grain that represented money. It's about utilizing and maximizing every blessing, whether it's time or money or things. For God and for gospel purposes. See, throughout scripture, we're called to adopt a mindset with something like this as its its motto, how can I leverage God's blessings for gospel impact? Did you hear that? How can I leverage God's blessings for gospel impact? Generosity, hospitality, sacrifice, in your community, and in your families, and in the groups you're a part of, they can easily lead to many evangelistic and discipleship conversations. It's how God works. When he sees generous people, he blesses them with the opportunity to speak of his name. When he sees greedy, stingy people, why would he want that person representing him? Why would he want anyone like that talking about him? 
He gives us opportunities. He opens up doors as we're generous, as we're hospitable. As we live with open hands, he gives us opportunities to speak of his name. Tim Keller says, if you have money, power, and status today, it's due to the century and place which you were born, to your talents and capacities and health, none of which you earned. In short, all your resources are in the end the gift of God. And some of you are like, well, I worked hard for that. I studied, you know, yes, you did. Who gave you that brain? Who gave you that time? Who gave you that place of where you were born? So it's all a gift. So we have this story, and then here's God's response to his selfish choice in verse 20. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. You fool, that's a, you can look in the Greek language, there's different ways to say fool. And one is uh, where we get the word moron from. But that's not the word used here. It's not just that he was ignorant and dumb. He just didn't know any better. It's actually aphron is the word, and it's imprudent and senseless. He did not think ahead. He was not really prudent with his money and a good steward. I heard this statement long ago. My dad probably heard it from someone else. I probably heard it from my dad. Gary probably has mentioned it from this stage before. Other people but it says, the statement goes like this, I've never seen a U-Haul attached to a hearse. Well, that's just ignorant. He would be a moron, right? But that's kind of how we live. It's like I'm just accumulating, accumulating, accumulating for what? What a devastating statement. Tonight, you will know how worthless your obsession with stuff really is. See, a fool with an obsession on wealth becomes increasingly more self-centered and self-destructive. We don't really know the rest of the story. It says tonight your soul will be required of you. And so I guess in my mind, I always assumed he just died. It's kind of morbid, but maybe some of you are a little nicer and your thoughts are like, oh, maybe he just lost everything. He's still alive. However you want to finish that story is up to you, but... Here's the statement. Your soul is required of you, right? That leads us to think that night he was dead because he had no one. He's like, who's going to take this stuff, right? So imagine hearing that said of you tonight. You will know how worthless your obsession with stuff really is. What a sobering thought. It's important for us to note here in light of eternity and what he says, if you've not trusted Jesus as your Savior... A selfish pursuit of your life will leave you empty, but not only empty on this world, but suffering for eternity. Without trusting in Jesus, the King of kings, then you suffer in that anguish, not just here, but well on into eternity forever. So it's a call for you to turn to Jesus. When I read this passage this week and last week, thinking about this statement, this one statement just kept popping out to me, and it was this statement called Rich Toward God. Rich Toward God, it caught my attention, and so I did a little investigation on that statement and came to a sermon from John Piper, and he talks about uh, that money is both hazardous and helpful at the same time. 
And here's his quote on that. So when I say that money is hazardous and helpful, what I mean is that the pieces of metal and paper and maybe even plastic or your phone that you have in your pocket or purse have the capacity to show that you value things more than God, which is hazardous, or that you value God more than things, which is helpful. The paper or plastic or whatever it is is nothing, but its expression of the treasures of your heart is everything. Paul writes about this in in 1 Timothy. He writes about this in chapter six about the rich. He goes on to talk about the rich. And a reminder, we're all rich, right? Chapter six, verse 18 and 19, he says those rich people, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is what? Truly life that they may take hold of that which is truly life. He continues in Ephesians, his letter to the church of Ephesus, and he's talking about people that got, uh, received new life in Jesus. In chapter four, verse 28, he says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. He noticed that point that he went from someone who was taking from someone else, taking, taking, taking to what? generous and giving. He wasn't the same person anymore. He was absolutely transformed, a new person. Notice the running theme of generosity. When you're rich toward God, it makes you a generous person. It displays itself with how we share our wealth and how we're made new. One of the greatest opportunities we have as a body to be generous is to give our money Back to God, and one way to do that is through the church. We're called to do that in the corporate body. That's how things are accomplished, like local outreach ministries and global outreach ministries and things that are accomplished throughout this time as we, as we work together in the body. One of the things that really drew Candace and I together to come to this church was the generosity of the body was the fact that overall of the entire offering that's given every week, 20% of it off the top, not a separate mission uh, giving, but off the top goes straight to global outreach to reach the world for the gospel. I don't know about you, but that's, that's something worth giving toward. And so for us, we can do that as a body. We have boxes in the lobby. We can give online, but it's, we don't talk about it a lot here at TBC, but it's important and it shows what our heart is all about. See, we see that Jesus is challenging our hearts and what flows there for kingdom purposes. There's also a distinct command, even all the way back to the Old Testament. If you go to Deuteronomy, and you look at Deuteronomy in 24, it actually talks about how even those that had crops weren't supposed to harvest to the edge of their crops. It's a biblical principle all the way through the Old Testament where you would leave some for the edge, for sojourners, for strangers, for the poor. We even see it played out in the book of Ruth where people that came along that were in need were able to gather and harvest. And that's the principle that we should live by. That we work into our budget a margin for those in need. And even when we're blessed with extra like this guy, we actually think first, how can I bless others versus how I can consume more? So here he gives an application next. 
And maybe the question, before we get to that application, how can I use what God has blessed me with for the benefit of others in God's kingdom? And then we get to the application in verse 22. Jesus shares this, and oftentimes I taught this separately, these two passages, but they go hand in hand. You just look at the language, and it really says, and he said to his disciples, literally from the story, he goes straight to the disciples. Like, therefore I tell you, he says here, therefore I tell you, meaning, hey, remember what I just said. It's almost like a coach of a football team. He talks to the whole team, and then he gathers in, you know, the secondary or the running backs, you know, or something like that, where he's speaking specifically to the disciples, and he speaks to us as well. He says in verse 22, I said to the disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, nor your body, what you'll put on, for life is more than food, the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to think, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. See, Jesus interacted in this way to challenge us with some commands before we finish up in this last part. And he connects greed and anxiety. Notice how he connects those two. We all deal with anxiety in our lives in different ways, but here he connects wealth and anxiety very closely together. And based on that, he gives some commands. He says, first of all, don't be anxious. Now, we understand in this room there are uh, mental struggles and anxiety that aren't helped on your own, that need help from professionals, and we understand those things. Now, some of those have to be kind of dug down deep, and some of them are from your background and issues you've faced over your life, but some of them are literally uh, problems in the brain and a struggle that direction. So we're not talking about that, but we're talking about the things of this world that create anxiety. He says, first of all, don't be anxious about provisions, clothing, food, and drink. One illustration I thought of that was pretty timely was uh, this past Christmas. My oldest daughter, Sydney, is uh, deciding, you know, where is it that God wants me to go? And she was locked in on one school. And we're like, are you sure you don't want to check out a few others because this school is expensive? And uh, we're kind of like, what about this one? Uh, And so some of you maybe have experienced that as well. As college students, it's like, man, as a dad, though, the first kid going to college is just overwhelming. Like, you want them to be able to go, but it's like, how are you going to afford this? She's getting into special needs as her career. Like, that's going to pay for these massive student loans you might end up with. And so I literally, as a guy that... Really, I'm, I'm mostly laid back. I, I deal with anxiety here and there, but not traditionally prone to that. Man, I was anxious. To the point that like, I literally, in January, was like losing sleep over it. Like, how's she gonna afford this? Like, she's gonna be paying for years and years. And man, God had to redirect my heart and late January just really just slapped me around a little bit to say, hey, what are you doing here? 
You're teaching this stuff to others, to young people about trusting God, and you can't do that. And the amazing thing is, as we trusted him more, and we just left it in his hands, he provided. And he provided in miraculous ways that this semester is like a, a semester that we didn't have to like take out loans, which is highly surprising based on where she went. And so God just provided. And he gave that ability. And he taught me an extreme lesson, like in verse 30. Another version of this says the pagan the pagan world runs after such things. The people that don't know Jesus are the ones who are anxious over money, but not you. He also says, don't be anxious about how much time you have left, Job 14, 5, since his days are determined and the numbers of his months is with you and you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. So can you add time to your life by worrying or even planning? Now, I like to argue in a certain way you can, and my wife always gives me a hard time about this by the way I drive. I pop on ways, and what's the game we play? Here's the destination, here's the time ways is telling me I'm gonna be there. But guess what? It's on, right? And since she makes fun of me and says, really, that didn't add anything, and scripturally, she's absolutely right. Although I won the game, I didn't add any minutes to my life, because I always say, look at all the time I got. Nope, sorry, she's right, once again, I'm wrong. It also says, don't be anxious about God's knowledge of you and his care for you. Man, that's displayed very well. And we mentioned global outreach very well in those who go overseas, especially who are waiting for God to provide. And it's such a great testimony to hear their stories over and over again about God's miraculous provision. It's just so cool to see. He knows. He, he talks about the ravens and the flowers and the grass. And he's like, look, I give them bird seed. You know, I give them sun and give them water. Although a lot of our stuff might be struggling right now. Eventually we're going to get some rain and he's going to nourish that. He's like, I send that to them. Why don't you think I'll take, I won't take care of you? He has great knowledge of us. He created of us. He cares. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Jesus said this life wouldn't be easy. As a matter of fact, he said it would cost you something to follow him. He didn't promise an easy road, but he said he cares for you. You can cast your anxiety on him. And the second command in verse 31 Last part of the passage, we seek his kingdom and righteousness first. What does this mean? By stating seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, uh, Jesus answers that, that statement earlier on, how do we be rich toward God? Here it is, kingdom focus. We always keep in front of our minds how every scenario in our lives intersects with the kingdom of God and we daily carry it out. Every scenario. Scenarios in your life, things that happen, think people you meet along the way in your day, they're not by accident, and that's the attitude you begin to take when you see life differently. Kingdom focus. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It relieves anxiety because we're satisfied. We're content because we know we're in God's hands. Do we need stuff? Yeah, is that next kid going to go to school? Maybe a cheaper one, hopefully. I don't know. But guess what? It's coming. 
but I know I'm in God's hands. I know he has knowledge of me. He created me. He created you. He cares. He desires to see you thrive. And then we pursue righteousness. That idea in a few weeks that we're gonna kick off a series in spiritual disciplines and realize how can we really pursue righteousness? But it's all about disciplining our lives and trusting in Jesus. So as we wrap things up and focus more intently on how we can respond today from this message from Jesus, let's consider this illustration I read the other day. You think about a piece of metal. Think about a piece of metal that exists and it's a thick piece of metal and it's, it's, it represents our lives. And that piece of metal, if it gets enough stress and pressure on it, it's gonna snap. It's not necessarily gonna bend. Now it could bend initially, but if that pressure hits it the right way, it's gonna snap unless there's heat applied. So that heat that's applied starts to bend the metal You see the ugly, depressing disease of greed in our lives and the anxieties that come from a disproportionate focus on the here and now, they lead us to feel an insane amount of pressure in our lives. Our lives and our hearts can only take so much of this pressure before we snap. This anxiety causes us to snap. But here's the great news this morning. God doesn't just offer to use you and here's your piece of metal. He doesn't just offer to put a little heat on it and then just bend you and conform you. You know what he offers? He offers to melt you down and to actually melt you as this metal into something and actually transform you into something new where you don't even look like that piece of metal anymore. This isn't the best version of you or a better version of you. We need to just destroy that statement from our vocabulary. Because it's not a better version of you with a little heat here and now you look like a bent piece of metal. Instead, what it is is something brand new. He brings trials, testing, and, and sometimes things that cause anxiety in our lives. You know why? Because we need that heat. We need that fire as James talks about, to transform us into something new. The gospel is what produces new desires within us, new hopes, new dreams for the future, new cares and concerns that have others in God's kingdom at the forefront. So as we get ready to sing together, I want us to think about maybe four questions that maybe we can wrestle with as we sing. These four questions are, first of all, will you let the fire of the gospel transform you today? Not bend you into something that already exists, but make you new. Will you trust in him for the first time to begin that transformation? If you don't know Jesus, now's the day. Today's the day to trust him as your savior. Will you allow the spirit to do work in you today? to let the refining heat of Jesus' words change the way you look at and handle your wealth? And then lastly, will you allow Jesus to set you free from worry and from anxiety today? Let's pray. God, I praise you for your word. Oftentimes it hurts and we're convicted because we know our lives have gotten off track. Lord, there's people in this room that have been consumed with greed and maybe not consumed with greed, but at least preoccupied with wealth, with bills, 
the struggle in this way that has caused anxiety and worry. I pray that today they will confess that to you, lay it at your feet, and pursue your kingdom and your righteousness. And as you say, all these things will be added. All these things means a worry-free life. Not that worries won't come up again, but we know what to do with our worries now. God, I pray that you'll work in our hearts to transform us into something new, that we can bring glory to your name. In your name we pray, amen.